Good morning. Why don't you have a seat? Uh, my name is Eric. I want to welcome you to E3. Um, we are in the, I think, fourth week of this series that we're calling Under the Sun. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and boy, has it been depressing. No, I'm kidding. Um, we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about a slightly less dark part of the book today, just to give you a little bit of a heads up. But before that, I want to kind of tell you uh, some just fun things that have been going on in my life. Yesterday, I had a birthday, and um, thank you, thanks for all the well wishes uh, online earlier this week. I just thought this was funny. Earlier this week, uh, my staff um, kind of got together and gave me a little birthday bowl of goodies. This is what a birthday bowl of goodies looks like when you're on a paleo diet, but you, they also know you have no willpower. So, you know, I got the peppers and I got the carrots, which is like what I eat all the time. But then they put like spree, which is my favorite candy, because they're like, we know, Eric, you cannot hold to this all the time. So it was just fun. Um, last week, last week, uh, we talked about death. Woohoo! Um, and what, here's a couple of funny things. One is I was shocked with how many folks came up to me and said, like, man, I really needed to hear that. Um, and that was really, really encouraging to, to hear that because, you know, we don't always hear that. But we do acknowledge, and I do acknowledge that, man, that was, that's a hard message to hear. And really all of this, all of these weeks have been so challenging, at least to me. You know, the idea of life just slipping away and how do you make the most of today, even, even to deal with the ultimate reality of like one day, you know, the puzzle pieces all go back in the box. So... I wanted to kind of lighten the mood this week and kind of give you guys a little bit of a break. And I figured what better way to start than just to have you guys have some moments of just watching dogs doing fun things, right? Everybody. So let's just like, let's just enjoy this because, okay, here we go. Let's just see. Come on. Good girl. Oh, Good yeah. Girl. Come on. Oh, almost. Let's see what else we got. Enjoy this, because you know you don't know what Ecclesiastes might have for us. Oh yeah. Aw. That's the way my son looks sometimes. This guy, I don't know what's up with this guy. He's caught in a feedback loop of some kind. Oh, 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 oh. I, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna no, no, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it, no. Nope, nope. Oh, shoe one, tiny puppy, zero. This, what's up with this? All right. That's probably enough. Are you guys, is that cool? Everybody kind of just like, woo, okay. Uh, I'm not, nothing's going to happen to the dogs. I promise like that. We're not going to have a bait and switch or anything like that. Um, so Ecclesiastes, we started the, the series with the idea and the information that Ecclesiastes is a specific genre of, of uh, writing in the Bible. It's called wisdom literature. And wisdom literature in the Bible is always concerned with how to live well on this earth, right? So Proverbs, if you've ever read the book of Proverbs, that is like the quintessential wisdom literature because it just has all these little instructions. You know, don't go into debt. Um, honor your mother and father, on and on and on and on. There's other, uh, there's other writings of wisdom literature in the Bible, but Ecclesiastes is one, and that's why it's so challenging. Because Ecclesiastes says, this is how you live well on earth. Oh, and by the way, you know, again, you're going to die. Deal with that. 
Um, but if you really, really sit with it, that is what we are trying to take out of these scriptures and out of this writing week after week. How do we live well? So that's one thought I want you to keep in mind as we get into this. The next thought is that there is, a, that there is, there is something in the Bible called uh, what, what a lot of scholars call case law. All right, case law. And it, and it really is similar to the, to the idea of case law in the law in the sense that instances come up in the Bible and in the story of God's people, and they have to deal with those instances, and so they write about it. And so sometimes if you've ever read the Bible, and particularly the Old Testament, you'll come across little statements that will have an instruction about how to deal with a particular situation. That means that if it's written in the Bible that way, that it's a reality that God's people had to deal with. Now, there's some easy ones. We're going to start off in uh, Proverbs. So you might encounter a, a, a verse in Proverbs that looks something like this. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. It means that our pride is an issue. You kind of reverse engineer the scriptures sometimes. So when pride comes, then comes disgrace. It means that it's an issue for human beings. Pride is an issue. Anybody? Give me an amen on that. Okay, that's pretty basic spirituality. Okay, let's see what else of in Proverbs. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. Like, I'm like, I'm not giving high points to the Bible in terms of wisdom on this because I feel like this is kind of from the Department of Redundancy Department. Um, let's see what else is in there. An unplowed field produces food for the poor, but injustice sweeps it away. So reverse engineer it, it says, look, when injustice arises, it sweeps away things that can provide for the poor and the under-resources. Uh, if it's in the Bible, it's an issue. But then we get into some fun things, just real quick before we get too far into this. I think we have a statement from Deuteronomy. This is one of my favorites. If two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant, and she reaches out and seizes him by his private parts, you shall cut off her hand, show her. You know this part of the Bible had to have been written by a man. Because he's like, we are not playing around when it comes to that. But think about it. That's what makes it kind of like real. So that's an issue. So somebody in, 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 in the course of God's people were just like, you know what? We have got to deal with this issue. So you write it down. So when uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, says in chapter 7, verse 10, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. You start off, or I started off this week, with the premise of if it's in the Bible, then it's an issue. Do not say, why were the old days so much better than these? Because it's not wise. So you start from the premise of A, we have a tendency to think about the good old days, right? And then the teacher just says, look, it's not wise. There's something about it that I would just maybe put it this way. If you dwell too much on the old days, you can miss something vital about how to live well now. Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. How do you live well now? Don't sit around and ask, why were the old days so much better? 
And if it's in the Bible, God kind of knew that this is a tendency for human beings. That we have this thing inside us, uh, and we ask about it, we ask this question in a variety of different ways. For instance, we ask this question uh, in regards to fashion. We have, we have old days of fashion that we wish would come back. Carson, are you ready for us? So, you know, maybe, you know, you were around. Step into the light, my son. Step into the light. You know, that's okay. It'll be over soon. Uh, <laughs> we didn't need that. All right, that's it. So let me just say that I hope that that does not represent the good old days of fashion for any of you. Uh, so Carson said he wants the suit, but we're not sure if we're going to give it to him. We also do this. It was not mine. Okay. I promise. <laughs> we also talk about this in terms of the good old days in terms of music, right? Classic rock, you know. In fact, one of the premier singers of one of the biggest rock bands of the planet said this a while ago. He said, uh, don't believe in the 60s. This is a lyric. Don't believe in the 60s, the golden age of pop. You glorify the past when the future dries up. Anybody know who said that? Bono said it, which I find it ironic because he's on tour right now celebrating a record that came out 30 years ago. Oh, how the uh, boldness of our 20s comes back to bite us in our 50s, right? So here he is in his 20s. He's like, you know, don't glorify the past because that just happens when your future dries up. And yet, even when you're in the biggest band in the world, you will feel compelled because it's human nature to say, you know what's not so bad? The good old days the good old days. And so we also do it in religion. Anybody recognize this? That's a pew. Who spent time in the pews? Anybody? Lots of some of us. You know, this was my position on, in the pew when I was young. I was, I was this guy because I could kind of, you know, when I was in my teens, I could just kind of wedge into this corner. My dad always sat here and my mom, and then like he would put his arm, he would put his left arm around me, so he'd kind of give me a tap in the head whenever he felt like I was was uh, nodding off too much. But some of us would say, "Look, this represents the golden age of church, you know." And I don't like these chairs, and why is the band so loud, you know? But again, Ecclesiastes says, "Don't sit around and say why were the good old days so much better, because." It's not wise to do that. And we would do it also in things that are a little more close to our hearts. You know, I have met with some of you and I have these conversations of people who say, you know, um, the good old days were when I was in this relationship, you know, or when I had this job or when I was in college or, or there was an age of my life that just was rocking. And we, we think about it all the time. And Ecclesiastes says, don't sit around thinking about and asking, why were those days so much better? And again, the mentality is, if it's in the Bible, I think it's cool that the Bible just knows human nature. God knows that we'll sit around and do this. Here's the way I would put it, that we seem naturally inclined to think about a time in our lives when we felt like we were winning 
And it's a natural desire to want to recover that time. Anybody ever had that desire? You know, this morning, like, when is a time that you were winning? When is that time, do you have that time when you were like, no, no, if it was, if I could, my 20s was when I was winning, or my 40s, or maybe it's related to, you know, a situation. That job was when I was winning. And that is our nature then, to sit around and go, why couldn't this time be like that time? And Ecclesiastes says, it's not wise to think that way. Well, uh, let me tell you, again, God knows human nature. There's a, there's a passage in the book of Exodus that I want to read you, just a couple verses. Uh, chapter 16, verse 2 and 3. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Woo! The community is mad. And they just look at their leaders, Moses and Aaron. They're in the middle of the desert. It's hot. It's dry. There is not much food around. And they say, you know what? Why couldn't we have stayed in Egypt? Those were the good old days back in Egypt. What's wrong with that statement? Anybody know the story here? What's wrong with Egypt? They were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And yet, actually, this is not the only time God's people make this request of Moses and Aaron. See, it's their nature to look at times and go, why couldn't we be back there? Because we at least had meat to eat. Yes, but what did you have to give up in order to get that meat, right? When we sang about it this morning, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. God split the sea to set his people free, and then they get to the point where they're just like, man, you know what? Could we go back through the sea and go back to Egypt? And they forgot they forgot what the good old days actually looked like, right? They forgot. Yes, we had meat, but we forgot that we were also slaves working, trying to build cities and pyramids with less and less stuff subject to a, a pharaoh, and a dictator who dictated life and death, who tried to uh, wipe out an entire generation of Hebrew sons. Oh, but let's go back. Let's go back there. And that's the problem you see with Egypt, is Egypt is never, ever as good as we remember. You see, the good old days aren't the good old days. And they're not the good old days because of some very, very simple ideas. And I'm going to get all science on you for just a little bit, but just bear with me. Um, I'll show you a picture of a guy named, uh, I think, Daniel Kahneman or Kahneman. 
He's a psychologist, one of the, one of the foremost psychologists in uh, neuro, uh, neural psychology, thinking, brilliant thinker. And uh, I was watching a, a talk, a lecture that he gave. And he says, you see, the problem is with human beings is that we have two selves. We have an experiential self and a memory self. The experiential self is right here. And he said, actually, the experiential self lasts about three seconds. Like three seconds, we can normally say we are in the moment and it's real. And then we kind of like go on to another moment and another moment. Now, the memory self thinks back on all of the the things that we've done. And the memory self starts to tell stories about the good old days to ourselves. And the thing about it that psychologists and scientists find that's so fascinating is guess what? The memory self is almost always wrong. That there are things that we leave out naturally. The bad stuff, even some of the good stuff. So like how many of you guys, I would just say maybe, how many of you guys have ever encountered this in your life where you have thought about something, the good old days, and then you had somebody that said, uh, I was there. <laughs> and the good old days, if I remember, weren't so good. I mean, I have, I have this in my life where there was a series of, there was a period of time in my life where I was always like, man, can we just go back to those good old days? And Shana, my wife, would say, uh, I was there. <laughs> and you complained and moaned the whole time you were there. That's our nature. We have a self of memory that just says, man, you know what, Egypt? Man, it wasn't so bad. Remember, the, remember, those, remember that meat we had back in Egypt? Uh, I was there. You remember the slavery part? Because I don't know if that's a good trade-off. I'm just saying. So I, I, thought, also about, um, I thought also about this story. And, and this, I was just thinking about this this week. So when I was young, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, that's why I was eight. Western Pennsylvania, we got a lot of snow. And, you know, and we had, man, there was no such thing as a snow day, please. That was just like good recess day in our, in our day, right? So we went out to play one day, uh, and, and we had a big, big pack of snow. It was probably a foot and a half of snow on the ground, at least. And so me and some of my buddies, we just started rolling a snowball around. And we had a huge playground. So we started rolling the playground around. We just rolled the snowball, rolled the snowball, rolled the snowball around until it was huge. And so I, I decided to unpack my artistic gifts this week, and I drew a picture of what it looks like. That's me, <laughs> and um, that's a snowball. Don't know if you can see it. It's white. I kind of did that for you guys. So then I started thinking about, like, all right, so, you know, then I remembered, and I was like, well, the snowball was, like, kind of taller than I was. So then I kind of went back and said, well, how old was I probably then? So I was probably about four feet tall which would have made the, the snowball about six feet tall, okay? So then I sat around and I said, I wonder how much that snowball weighed. So then I did the math, which is always dangerous when I do math, but this is what I came up with. That snowball would have weighed 850 pounds, at which point I said, do I really remember that happening? Do I really remember that? And I'm like, I'm not so sure. And if I do remember it, 
I can guarantee you that me and my little scrawny body was not pushing around. Even with all my second grade friends, was not pushing an 850 pound snowball around a playground field. That was my memory. And it was wrong. It's wrong. And that is human nature. So when the teacher says, don't sit around and say, why can't we go back to the good old days? You know why? Because good old days probably weren't all that good. It's not wise to do so. Because what can start to happen is we can start to miss out on things. We start to miss out. So a couple of little passages in the, in the New Testament that started speaking to me. Hebrews 3, the writer of Hebrews said, look, that we should encourage each other daily as long as it's called today. I love that. It's so poetic. As long as there's something called today, now, now's the time we need to encourage each other. Paul puts it this way in the second letter to the Corinthian church. He says, look, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And there's this tension in the Bible and in God's story of, yes, we have a past, but there's also something happening right here, right now, this day, June 25th. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day to encourage each other. And so the reason that we shouldn't sit around and say, well, but the good old, but, 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 but there's something happening right now. And the more you sit around and talk about the good old days, the more you will be inclined to miss this day. So, a couple thoughts. Now is always better than Egypt. Now is greater than Egypt. Here and now, better than there and then. It just is. Because no matter how good you thought it was, guess what? It probably wasn't that good. There are some things that we can do to kind of uh, encourage this line of thinking. We have to cultivate an awareness and appreciation of right here, right now. And here's what you need to do. You kind of need to start checking your memory. Whenever you start thinking about, oh, man, remember those good old times? Remember those, those, those times when everything was just soaring and I was winning? Sometimes you need to just go back and say, what was really happening back then, back then? Don't believe everything that you remember. Don't believe everything you remember. Ask somebody who was with you. I've journaled a lot. I've got journals for the past like 10, 15, 20 years. And finally, I had to face up. Like, it's one thing when my wife is telling me, look, I was there. You weren't that happy then. But you know, for me, I'm a hard learner. So I had to, I had to go look at my own words. I had to look at my own writing. So I went and cracked open a journal from a time that I thought was Egypt. I thought all that meat was there. I opened up my journals and I saw my own thoughts. And I was like, oh, oh, Egypt wasn't so great. So check your memory. If you think you have a temptation to go back to the old days, man, figure out if that's really true. And say, boy, old days weren't so great. There's something happening right now. And then uh, the, uh, the other idea is just to say, look, 
Value what's in your hand right now. Right here, right now. This is the day of salvation. And so, a lot of people, you guys would push back and you say, yeah, but you don't know what's in my hand. It's not too great. Well, guess what? Egypt wasn't too great either. And what you have in your hand isn't perfect because life isn't perfect. But it's in your hand. And it's always going to be better than what you left behind. So value your friendships, your job, your beater car, your crazy growth group. It's going to be better than the, than the growth group that you think about in the past that never really existed because in your mind, you, you always loved each other and never had any arguments and never had a person that talked too much. Come on. Be honest. Uh, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was kind of checking out a movie this week that a friend of mine, we were talking about this topic, and he said there's a movie, a Woody Allen movie called Midnight in Paris. And there's a great line from it because it's all about idealized memories. And one of the characters says, no, now is not perfect because reality is not perfect. What's happening now isn't wholly beautiful because that's not the nature of reality. Life isn't perfect. Second uh, statement I'd, I'd like to kind of have you guys or, or think about is there is also, in the same way that we have a tendency to go back, we also have a tendency, a natural inclination to at times want everything to stop now so that we don't lose what we have. Anybody ever have just a perfect moment, a perfect day, a perfect little season, and you're like, okay, let's just keep doing this, and it's always going to be this way. It doesn't work out very well, does it? Because time has this funny thing of always going forward. It doesn't stop, does it? So, you know, um, we have friends and they move away. Because that's what happens. We have favorite bands that produce amazing music and they break up. Luckily, in this day and age, they usually get back together for a reunion tour. But these moments... They don't stay where we wish they would. We have a favorite worship song, and then the band stops playing it. Dang it, I like that song. We can't stop time, certainly no more than we can go back. And yet, like if we're dealing with wisdom literature, there is a gift in that. How do we live well? We don't buy into the illusion that we can freeze time. I had a birthday yesterday. I turned 49. Do you think that I don't want time to stop right now? But in a year from now, I'm going to have a 50th. God willing. So it's not going to stop. It's going to go on. Isaiah, a prophet in, in the Bible, he, he writes this, God speaking. And God says it this way, look, from now on, oh, you've heard these things, look at them, look at them all, will you not admit them? He's talking to God's people. From now on, I will tell you of what? New things, of hidden things unknown to you. They are created when? Yeah. Now and not long ago. You've not heard of them before the day, so you cannot say, yes, I knew of them. 
I love the way the, the Hebrew uh, can be rendered when he says now. That Hebrew word can also mean fresh. Fresh. God's a God of freshness. He says, I'm creating things now, and it's fresh. Not long ago. So that means as time goes on, and even if time rolls away, and even if I hit 49, and 364 days later I hit 50, guess what? God is still a God of freshness, of newness. There doesn't have to be a, oh, remember when, because God says, I'm doing things. When? Now. Now. The New Testament puts it this way. There are two words for time in the New Testament, neos and kainos. Neos is the more objective word of the two. It kind of means the seconds ticking. It kind of means young versus old. I am not so young. John Devine, who plays guitar, he's not so old. That is a neos thing. Kainos is very, very different. Kainos in the New Testament does not have an age objective uh, implication to it. It has a, has you, have you seen this before? Have you seen this before? It can mean unprecedented, brand new. Something unlike you have never seen. And the New Testament loves kainos, and Jesus loves kainos. So let me give you some examples of the way kainos is used. When Jesus is talking about putting new wine into new wine bottles, the wine bottles are kainos bottles. You've never seen these bottles before. When Jesus says, look, I'm giving you a new command to love each other, he says, this is a new, unprecedented command. You have to love each other. When he says, there's a new covenant now being written in his blood, it's an unprecedented covenant. It's never been seen before. When Paul says that there's a new people created out of different groups of people, out of ethnically diverse people, religiously diverse people, he says, this has never been seen before. This is a kainos people. Paul also says, look, when you are in Christ, guess what? You are an unprecedented, never seen before creature. Isn't that cool? Never seen before. At the end of God's story, he says, look, at the end of it, I'm going to make a new Jerusalem. It's not going to look like the old Jerusalem. You've never seen this Jerusalem before, and you've never seen this church before. He says, there's going to be a new heaven, unprecedented and an unprecedented earth. Anybody hungry for an unprecedented, never-seen-before earth? Amen. And then at the end of God's story, the book of Revelation, boy, he just sums it up. He says, how about all things? How about I just cover the bases? All things brand new, unprecedented. You might say, again, in the Old Testament word, it's fresh. It's fresh. Kainos is fresh. God is a God of the now. It's the unprecedented talking. It's the unprecedented image and vision that we're working towards. How many of you would, would be hungry for something brand new in your life right now? Yeah, I certainly am. So Ecclesiastes 7.10, hey, 
Don't think about the old days. Why were the old days so much better than this? It's not wise to do that because guess what? The invitation is that God does things now, right now. It's a kinos thing. That there is an invitation and a nature to God that he says, look, all you got to do is open yourself up because I do things new all the time. The life that he offers us is new moment to moment. I want to show you a video of an artist that I stumbled across years ago. It's a guy named Andrew Goldsworthy. He works in natural mediums. He's a craftsman. He does brilliant work. But what he does is, is amazing because he designs his, his art in nature to live in nature and then to go away with nature as nature sees fit to take it away. So he works in ice. We're just going to roll this video. I'm going to talk about it. This is an ice sculpture that he carved just by joining together little pieces of found ice. And then when the sun comes up and warms it up, guess what? It does what ice does. And it goes away. And you know what? He doesn't sit around and go, why was that sculpture? That was the best sculpture I ever did. You know what he does? He just does something new. So then he works in this thing where these are little twigs and sticks that he's collected. And he has hung them naturally. There's no glue involved. They are existing through tension. And he has strung them together. But it's fragile. And time can take it away and does. Everything he does is meant to be taken away with time, just like that. But you know what he does? He just does something else new because there's always another opportunity to do something new. He says, yeah, that was there. He actually photographs them. But then he says, you know what? It's my job to do something new. What can I do next that's new? What can I do next that's kainos? So he doesn't sit around and go, man, why were those sculptures back in the day so much better than these? He just says, no, I'm going to do another one. I'm going to do another one. Do another one. So in other words, I put it this way. Guess what, guys? There's always a kainos opportunity in our lives. There's always a kainos opportunity. We don't sit around and talk about the good old days because God is a God of the now, of the fresh and we just say, all right, what can I do now? What can I experience now? So what might this look like in your life? Here's some thoughts. Maybe kainos for you means a radical reshuffling of your priorities. Maybe you've lived your life according to a set of principles and priorities that you just sense are outmoded now. Maybe you've been consumed with, with wealth or, or, or work or something. And your kainos moment is to say, you know what's something new for me? Is I'm going to make God and my family and people first. It doesn't sound like much, but guess what? That is new. That is unprecedented in your life. It might be. What about a vocation? Maybe you've been working in, in something in, in, in a field and you feel God saying, you know what, I want you to step out and do something different that maybe you're super passionate about and you're going to stretch and it's going to be scary. But God says, look, this is an unprecedented thing for you. It's brand new. Maybe it looks like a creative act. Maybe there's a book to be written, a song to be written a blog to be written. Maybe there's a quilt to be crafted for somebody 
to give away to somebody, to give away to uh, somebody who needs it. And you're like, but it's just a quilt. Wrong. It is kinos. It is unprecedented. It is life happening now, not back in the good old days. You see, kinos only happens when we take up and stand up and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get with God and make some kinos moments happen. What about generosity? Maybe you're a stingy person. Hey, we all have our moments. Maybe the unprecedented act in your life is to release some of the resources that God has entrusted you with. So you know what? I have always been this way. I have always been this way. But the new thing that God is doing is saying, I'm letting it go. Maybe kainos for you is service. You know, I've talked about this before, man. Like, so I was young, right? But man, I warmed, I warmed this pew like nobody's business. This, that pew was warm, warm underneath me. And maybe the seat that you sit in, and we all have our favorite seats, maybe that seat is warm enough and you need to get out of it and help. That's your unprecedented moment. Never done it before. Now I'm going to do it. It's that simple. Maybe it's leadership. Maybe it's leadership. Maybe it's stepping forward and say, you know what? I know I can influence people. I'm going to take a step forward and say, E3, I've been holding out on you. And I can help. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe the unprecedented act for you is that you've been holding on to somebody that you will not and have not ever forgiven. Maybe that person is you. And the unprecedented act, the kainos act, is to simply say, I release, I release that person. Even if it's me. Maybe the kainos act is love. Maybe the unprecedented act is to step into the love of God and the love of a community. And you've sat on the outside for years. Maybe because you never thought you were worth it. And the kainos moment, the unprecedented thing, the newness, the fresh thing is to simply say, I accept that I am radically loved by God. And that will be the defining feature of my life going forward. Maybe it's another moment. You know, you know that. What would be unprecedented in your life? What would be the new thing? Because we don't have to sit around and go, why were those good old days so good? Why was Egypt so good? Because it wasn't. And God is a God of now. And the invitation is for now. And we are kainos people. Let's stand for closing prayer. 